This is Alex Massa, and you're listening to the Labrador Leadership Podcast with Bob Nolly. Yes, they are. Live from the RVA, this is the Labrador Leadership Podcast with Dr. Bob Nolly. The program that brings you the leadership skills that can make you the most authentic, approachable leader for the sake of your business, your team, and for you. Now, here's Bob. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. You keep finding your way back, and I'm so happy that you do. Thanks for joining the Labrador Leadership Podcast. We are also live on Periscope with this episode. So we're pleased to have everybody on the line with us uh, as well that's out there. I see uh, Dr. Akina Finch is here, and Astri3RN is here, and some other folks are floating by as well. So thank you all for being here. Uh here is the point of today's episode. Oh, where's Alex? Everybody's asking. Alex is on special assignment, as they say. So I'm going solo today. So thanks for being here with me. Uh, here's the line today. A, uh, a big Fortune 100 company that I'm familiar with uh, just put a bunch of people out on the street. And I mean like 1,600 is the number. They haven't shared the number, but the number I've seen in the press is like 1,600. And that happens a lot. That happens a lot all over the country. It's just not here. And it happens to a lot of people. But I was really struck this time by the the number of, of colleagues, the people I knew that were involved, and, and the number of friends as well. And, you know, not so many friends because how many true friends do you really have? You should be able to count them on one hand. If you can do that, you know, you're really lucky. But a lot of people I know are found, finding themselves in a tough situation. And what I wanted to do today is just give them something that they can share and uh, talk about and consider because I know what the cycle is like. And any of you that are listening out there know exactly what that cycle is like as well. It's uh, It starts off with a period of being really, uh, really in denial this just really happen? Is it a dream? And, uh, or it moves on to uh, one of anger. And the faster you push through those two parts of the cycle, the faster you can, you can get to the point where you're being productive and think about what the next part of your life looks like for you. Uh, and I'll share, I'll share my episode somewhat later about exactly how that looked to me in the past. Uh, these folks that have found themselves out now, some of them will have a lot of support available to them. They've been told that there's a uh, they'll have outplacement support, which is good. Uh, they'll help them formalize their network, define, document exactly who their network is, who they should be talking to. It'll help them uh, work on their resume. It'll help them find companies in the geographic area uh, that they're in that their search is looking for. And uh, they'll also get advice on, you know, things like uh, brushing up their LinkedIn profile, of course. And, you know, if you do have a service like this, after you pull all of this together and prepare yourself, it, uh, they might even stage practice interviews for you. And that's, that's the real skill that, you know, you want to get to because when you, your resume is just a ticket into the game, but when you actually get to have that conversation with a recruiter or, and after that a hiring manager, you want to be razor sharp. 
So all of those things you have to do, you need help with. And, and here's why, you know, I'm sure there are people out there now going, well, of course, that's just the way it works. That's the way it happens. But there are people out there now in this group that have not been on the street and had to go through this for decades. They've been in this job for 20 years, more. And they're really feeling that they're in a tough spot out there on the, out on the street. That, that's really really difficult for them. So as they spin through that cycle of denial and then anger and trying to be productive again, you know, I talked about having outplacement services available to you. You know, people, each different person is at a different place on the timeline. Uh, Some people may consider just retiring. You know, they may be retiring a few years earlier than they had planned. They might do something else to fill in that gap financially. They might decide, I, I'm, just, I'm just tired of, of that work I was doing. And I want to do something else. This may be something new to somebody that's, you know, a Gen Y or a millennial, somebody that's quite young and just goes, okay, on to the next great thing. I, I, I didn't really care for that, and I want to go do something else. Everybody's on a different part of the timeline. But here's what happens to everybody. Once you get into that cycle, that point of time where you can be really productive, you, uh, you find that there's a barrage of activity because you've, you could start doing this work of defining who your network is, the companies you want to talk to, what your search looks like, what are the activities you do every day, and all of a sudden that becomes your job as well. Defining these things you do, whether it's LinkedIn search or uh, career builder searches or, or anything, however you do it, though, that ends up being the activities you work on every day. And it's high velocity and you're calling people and you're preparing your resume or your CV, your curriculum vitae, which is used in the, uh, in the, uh, in the academic world. And you pull all of this together, and then it's like a shotgun blast of getting this out. Strategically is better, of course. But you get this all out on the street, and then comes this period of waiting. Now, you don't just sit there doing nothing and waiting because keeping the pipeline filled and having the uh, conversations you need to, to to feed that pipeline are important. But the velocity kind of slows down. And right there, that's the point where I want you to consider doing these things. Here's what I want you to do. You should be actively and overtly social. You should be calling everybody. Everybody. Go, go meet people for lunch. And you'll find out the people will pick up the tab for lunch if you can't afford to pick up the tab for lunch. And uh, have a cup of coffee if you can't do that much. But just meet them and have a conversation about here's what my plans are for the next good thing. Sometimes I call it the next great thing. Here are my plans for the next great thing. And have a great conversation with them. Let them know. And can you tell me anybody I should be talking to? And you're just picking their brain. Now, oftentimes, you've called somebody and you know that they work at a large organization and you want to talk more to them but you don't sit down with them and go, do you have any openings there? That's not the way to pitch yourself. And you'll learn that if you avail yourself of any of the resources available. You want to ask them, what do you think about what I'm doing? Who should I be talking to? And great if it's somebody in their organization. Great. 
but talk to them and have that conversation, but be social every day. Here's why. If you sit at home or in your apartment and are not doing anything and you string together a couple of days of not getting out of the house, it's going to start to weigh on you. And the momentum you fought to build up will take its toll on you. Who should you be calling? Well, find out who your network is. Come up with that list. Who can I talk about? You want the couple of things I'll bring up here. Acquaintances, not friends, but just acquaintances that were colleagues of the place you just left. Don't be concerned if they don't want to engage you. Because determining what the circumstances were, they may they may not want to talk to you at all. It may be too too painful for them. They may have the thought, oh my gosh, there but for the grace of God go I. You know, they could have been them. And, you know, more often than not, some folks just can't have that conversation with you. So sit there and understand that and don't don't place blame on them. Just sit there and, and let that let that happen for them. Uh, but be active socially. Uh, second thing, write a great story about your career. This is a little bit harder and it probably doesn't fit quite in with the uh, with the resume building part and telling your story, although it does, and I'll make that point. Think about all the great things you've done in every job you've had. Think about times you were on your game. Think about the things you did when you were a real rock star. When you really were hitting on all cylinders. Now, how many metaphors can I pull together? Okay, that's, you know, when, when were you at your best? And write a story about those. See if you could come up with three of those things. See if you could come up with three of those things. What are you going to do with this? In my opinion, this is the top section of your resume right under your name, and it's called Accomplishments. Because this is almost like the headline in a newspaper. The hiring manager or the recruiter wants to look at this and go, who have I got here? That's your name. And what have they done? They don't want to wade through your education. They don't want to wade through your employment history. They want the headlines. What has this person done? And spend a lot of time with this, particularly with the verbs. Verbs that connote some aspect of leadership. Well, there's the buzzword I dropped for today. And... You didn't just do something. Think of things you produced and not just made, but produced like in the media sense. I, I use that verb a lot when I you know, talk about things that are not in the media. I produced this, which means I did it all. I planned it. I put it together and I delivered it. That's one of my favorite words. So you pull three of these together and you put them up into their accomplishments and you've created a great story, story for, for you that tells a great story. Uh, Thanks for all the love and all the hearts that are coming here on Periscope here while I'm doing this. Thanks a lot. I haven't seen a lot of questions. Uh, oh, Molly comes up right here, too. She suggests demonstrate your ability to learn and grow and your willingness to learn and grow. As part of your story, demonstrate your growth. I was here and I moved here. Next thing, remember we talked about being actively social. Next thing was writing a great story about your career and calling that the accomplishments. This time, write the micro stories. 
And these are just little tidbits, little situations, things that happen, things that happen probably over one day. Because one of the great set of questions you're going to hear, and if you go to an interview where you don't get these questions, I, I don't know how you're going to, I don't know how you avoided it. But it's all around your strengths and weaknesses. And people are very easy and ready to answer the question, what's your greatest strength? What do you bring to the team? And you know that, whether it be your work ethic or a technical skill or some great experience that you've already talked about in, the, in one of the headlines under accomplishments. But a tougher question is, what's your greatest weakness? And you want to be able to deliver that in a way that it tells a positive story on you, like what you did to accommodate that weakness and what you did to, uh, to lessen the impact of that. And it may not really be a weakness that you pitch as one, but this takes, I mean, this takes a lot of wordsmithing and a lot of thought and a lot of real real career craftsmanship, if you will, to think about how you want to tell these micro stories about the strengths and weaknesses. And, and when I call this a micro story, today you get a lot of questions of a behavioral nature. Some places may call it behavioral interviewing, others may not. But the behavioral interview is one where you get a question that almost always starts with, tell me about a time, <laughs> because they want specifics about a time that you faced a certain situation and what you did, because that's going to predict how you'll respond in similar situations on the job you're applying for. Tell me about a time when you had absolutely too, work, too much work to do and there was no way you were going to accomplish everything on time. Tell me about a time when you worked with a customer that was so irate and upset that nothing you could do would take care of her concern. Tell me about a time when you had to fire an employee. All of them start with tell me about a time. And these are what I mean by the micro stories as well. So you should create, you know, a good half dozen of them because they may not all get called up for in an interview. But but you can have them in your hip pocket and prepare to roll them out if the opportunity comes up. All right, so we have be active and overtly social. Write a great story about yourself and write the micro stories as well. And so, you know, the great story about yourself is, of course, the accomplishments that go up in the headline and what I propose should go well up the ladder in your uh, in your resume and the micro stories are the little vignettes that you want to deliver as well uh you know if you get help you know in preparing for interviews please take advantage of that some of these places that deliver uh career advising and, and coaching will will give you you know practice interview questions and actually do live practice interviews and they are great particularly if you haven't done it for a long time particularly if you're not comfortable in that situation. So just some thoughts there for those folks. I, I can feel for all of you. Just remember this. It's a numbers game. I was always reminded it's a numbers game. You have to keep feeding the pipeline. You can't go out and find five opportunities and think, 
oh great i've applied for them i'll wait to see if i can hear you can't you have to keep feeding the pipelines i'm not going to even give you any any numbers to suggest any numbers but the number of applications and inquiries you have to make just to have one recruiter call you and the number of recruiter calls that you have to you have to receive just to get one interview and the number of interviews you have to get just to get one offer that the multiplicatory the multiplicatory the multiplicative effect of all of that just you know you have to you have to be looking and inquiring about Hundreds of positions, perhaps. Hundreds. Okay, so listen to my story here. Uh, when, when I was out, you know, some time ago, some time ago, I went through all of this. And I was looking and inquiring about positions, and I was talking to people, and I was, I was talking to uh, several folks. Uh, oh, another group that you should be out looking for. If you go to church, if you don't, that's fine. But... If you do go to church, everybody in your organization is a target. You should be talking to everyone there because the nature of that relationship, that spiritual relationship, there's kind of an element of servant leadership there as well. And people more or less will want to talk to you about what you have going on. So I, uh, I was out and I was not getting anything on the radar. I was doing the work. I had a resume on the street making a lot of inquiries, but was not getting the calls back. And I'd get a couple and my hopes would hang on them and it was just incredibly difficult. And uh, then one day I was just in a total frump and a friend of mine had actually a friend, yeah, a friend of mine had a dinner party and we were invited over to her house and there were some other folks there, and a colleague of my wife's was there, and I had not met him. And uh, he talked to me, and he said, I told him that I was on a search at the moment, and he asked me, uh, why don't you teach? And I said, you know, I, I would like to teach because I think I'm a teacher by nature, and my family, you know, has always told me I have the, uh, the teaching gene in my uh, DNA makeup. And in the job I was in, I was always the guy. I was I was always the guy at the whiteboard with a marker in his hand, you know, explaining processes and technologies to some folks. So I, uh, he said, "Well, why don't you give me your resume and I'll talk to the dean at the college I teach." So we did, and they had a need for a professor, and they offered me a job as an adjunct teacher. Now, that's not a full-time job, but, you know, it, it got a little bit of money each month, and I taught one class, and the night I went in there to teach that class the full, uh, first time, and it was an undergraduate finance class, it felt like a million bucks. It felt like that was the place I was meant to be. So the first quarter, I had a great response and a great class with good feedback, and everything went well. So the next quarter, I got two classes, and I taught the undergrad students and the graduate students. So now we're making a little bit of money, and we can patch the holes in the hall of the financial ship at home, but it still wasn't enough. So what else could I do? Well, I got a lead of this organization that did corporate training. They had trainers that they would just have on call, and organizations would outsource their need for corporate training in... Uh, Excel or Word or PowerPoint or Microsoft Project or Access. So I did the whole, 
office suite of classes. And I did some project management work as well. And I did some soft skill training as well. So I would sit there and maybe a couple times a week, I'd have a class. It would be a full day class. and I make money for them. So that was a little bit more. Third thing I found, somebody told me that there was a huge need, and this was during the boom in the mortgage market. That would have been before the crash, the boom in the mortgage market. So somebody said they need people to work these mortgage files. They have these tons of applications for refunds and nobody, it's not possible for them to get all the work done. So they're hiring people with financial knowledge to come work the files. And actually we weren't making lending decisions. We were just preparing the files for the underwriters. So you could work from home because they couldn't have come up with the office space for everybody to work there. So I went in and interviewed as a temp and every morning or once a week at the beginning of the week, I would go out there and pick up my two boxes of files and I had a certain number of files that we were expected to work during the week and I would bring them home and I had to return them in a week. So that kind of like filled in between the cracks. Because if I wasn't at the uh, corporate training job and I wasn't teaching at the university or preparing to teach there, I could work these mortgage files. Still, there was one more opportunity. Here come the holidays. And I walked in to the uh, ABC store here in Virginia. Now, the ABC stores, of course, are state-owned here. Wherever you are, they may not be state-owned. But uh, I walked in and I just wanted to uh, buy a bottle of bourbon. And I walked into the counter, I looked at the lady, I said, so are you all hiring part-time people? And she went, yes, we are, but the manager's not here, come back. She gave me an application, I came back and he said, what are you doing now? I said, well, I'm teaching corporate training, I'm uh, teaching at a university, and I'm also handling mortgage files. He said, well, how much could you work for me? I went, schedule me up and I'll do it. So when I wasn't teaching at the university at night, or had a corporate training gig, he would schedule me, including on the weekends. So how did this pile up? Well, now I had four part-time jobs virtually, pasted together, and I would wake up at five o'clock on Monday morning, drive to the bank to get the mortgage files, and I would work virtually, not around the clock, but I'd work all week, Saturday, Sunday, because if I wasn't doing files, it was because I was working at the ABC store where I didn't have a corporate training gig. And then until so, Sunday at six o'clock and that was it. So it just cycled like that. And it was a lot of work and things just started to happen. One thing was I got promoted to assistant manager at the ABC store, which I still have to laugh about. And it gave me a little bit more responsibility, a little bit more money, but not a lot. And then comes Halloween and I'm at a Halloween party with my wife and we're standing out here in the country. It's one of those, you know, fall nights and it's fun. You know, it's still daytime. There are no bonfires yet, but we're sitting there and I'm dressed as a pirate. And if you know me, you can laugh at this if you don't, you, but I had a, you know, a wig on and the, the hat and the patch over the eye and the big blousey white shirt and, you know, arg and I'm drinking something out of a mug. Somebody comes up and tugs me on the sleeve and goes, we want you to be the Dean at the university. And I just dropped the whole pirate mystique and I went, oh, really? And that's how my career at the university started, you know, over a decade ago. And when you think of a dean, you think of perhaps don't, you don't use the stereotype of, of 
tweety jackets and pipe smoking and Dean Wormer on Animal House. You know, it's, you know, if you're a dean in a, in a for-profit university, you're a line manager. And I bought a lot to the table. So, you know, I got the job there and I was at that campus for 10 years. And then I went on to do other work for them as well. So that's my story. That's not anybody else's story. But you start thinking about those along those lines of what you can paste together to make something happen. Okay, that's, that's a little bit more than probably you wanted to know, but you know it was an adult dose. But I want to encourage everyone that finds themselves in this situation to start thinking that way. Be active, overtly social. Get out there. Make sure you write the great story. Writing the great story that you're going to put in the accomplishment section, that'll make you feel good. And trust me, you need a dose of feeling good right now. And write the micro stories. Prepare for the conversations you're going to have. And to keep the ship afloat while this is going on, paste something together. And, and if you're alone, this is tough. If you're living alone, you know, find the best friends you have and just report to them, here's what I did. If you're married, if you're married with children, report to them. They deserve to know what you're doing. Here's what I did today. I talked to this organization. I got hopes here. I don't know if this is going to happen here. But keep them informed. They want to know. They love you. They want to know. Okay, is that enough? All right, it is. I hope you got a feel for what it's going to take. I hope you got a feel of what's before you. There are people out here that want to help you. You know, I talked about our placement services. You know, heck with that. If you don't have, if you if you have them, for gosh sakes, take advantage of them. If you don't, you know, take advantage of the people you find in your network. Work them hard. Talk to them. Look, I'll tell you what I do. Whatever situation you find yourself in, I'm going to put a link in the show notes. And these are are dropping on the show is dropping tomorrow morning, on Tuesday, Tuesday the fourth of August. Uh, and click on the link there and, and send me a message and. We'll schedule a call for 15 minutes. I just want to hear where you are and see if there's anything I'm going to do. I'm not going to sell you anything. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I just want to talk to you. I want to know what you think. Okay, we'll do that. We'll do that. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to episode 58 of the Labrador Leadership Podcast. Show notes are at labradorleadership.com slash 58. Thanks for listening. Take care of one another. Thanks for listening to the Labrador Leadership Podcast. For the sake of all the special people in your life that deserve you to be the best leader you can be. Connect with us on our website at labradorleadership.com, on Facebook at Labrador Leadership, and on Twitter at Lab Leadership. Now, here's a final thought from Bob. Okay, from the other side of the fence, if you know somebody that's in the middle of the search, support them in every way you can. That's servant leadership at its best. Support them every way you can. Answer that call for lunch. Answer that call for a cup of coffee and take care of them. Because the to say, who's to say one day it won't be you. Okay, take care, folks. We'll see you next time. Bye.